Chapter 4 of The Legends of Genesis by Hermann Gunkel, translated by W. H. Karp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, Part 1 History of the Development of the Legends in Oral Tradition. At the time when they were written down, the legends were already very old and had already a long history behind them. This is in the very nature of legend. The origin of legends always eludes the eye of the investigator, going back into prehistoric times. And so it is in the present case. The great age of the legends is seen, for example, in the fact that they often speak of vanished tribes, such as Abel and Cain, Shem, Ham and Japhet, Jacob and Esau, none of which are known to historical times. And further, by the primitive vigor of many touches that reveal to us the religion and the morality of the earliest times, as, for instance, the many mythological traces, such as the story of the marriages with angels, of Jacob's wrestling with God, and the many stories of deceit and fraud on the part of the patriarchs, and so on. Foreign Influences A portion of these legends perhaps very many, did not originate in Israel, but were carried into Israel from foreign countries. This too is part of the nature of these stories, this wandering from tribe to tribe, from land to land, and also from religion to religion. Thus, for instance, many of our German legends and Markin came to us from foreign lands. And even to this day, there is perhaps nothing which modern civilized peoples exchange so easily and so extensively as their stories, as may be seen, for instance, in the enormous circulation of foreign novels in Germany. Now, if we recall that Israel lived upon a soil enriched by the civilization of thousands of years, that it lived by no means in a state of isolation, but was surrounded on all sides by races with superior culture, and if we consider further the international trade and intercourse of the early ages, which went from Babylonia to Egypt and from Arabia to the Mediterranean by way of Palestine, we are warranted in assuming that this portion of Israel among the nations will be reflected in its legends as well as in its language which must be literally full of borrowed words. Investigators hitherto, especially Wellhausen and his school, have erred frequently in assuming that the history of Israel could be interpreted almost exclusively from within, and in ignoring altogether too much the lines which connect Israel with the rest of the world. Let us trust that the investigators of the future will be more disposed than has hitherto been the case to give the history of Israel its place in the history of the world. Of course, with our slender knowledge of the primitive Orient, we are in large measure thrown back upon conjectures. Yet this cannot justify us in ignoring altogether the surroundings in which Israel lived. And there are, after all, certain things which we may declare with tolerable certainty. Babylonian Influences 
Babylonian influence is evident more than any other in the primitive legends. We can demonstrate this in the case of the legend of the Deluge, of which we possess the Babylonian version, and we have strong reasons for accepting it in the case of the story of creation, which agrees with the Babylonian story in the characteristic point of the division of the primeval sea into two portions, also in the legend of Nimrod and in the traditions of the patriarchs. The ten patriarchs of the race, as given by P, being ultimately the same as the ten primitive kings of the Babylonians. The legend of the Tower of Babel, too, deals with Babylonia and must have its origin in that region. The Iranian parallels to the legend of Paradise show that this, too, came from further east, but whether from Babylonia specifically is an open question, since the Babylonians located paradise not at the source of the streams, so far as we know, but rather at their mouth. We have besides a Buddhistic parallel to the story of Sodom. As to the time when these legends entered Israel, the opinions of investigators are divided. To us it seems probable from interior evidence that these legends, wandering from race to race, reached Canaan as early as sometime in the second millennium BC, and were adopted by Israel just as it was assimilating the civilization of Canaan. We know from the Tel El Amarna correspondence that Babylonian influence was working upon Canaan even in this early period. And on the other hand, a later time, when Israel's self-consciousness had awakened, would scarcely have accepted these foreign myths. Egyptian and Phoenician Influences Egyptian influence is recognizable in the romance of Joseph, which has its scene partly in Egypt and very likely goes back to Egyptian legends. This is particularly evident in the legend of Joseph's agrarian policy, chapter 47, verse 13 and following. We may well wonder that we find so few Egyptian elements in Genesis, but so far as we can see, the same observation is to be made for the civilization of Israel in general. Egypt was already a decadent nation, and had but slight influence upon Canaan. We shall find also Phoenician and Aramaic elements in the legends. The second is proven by the importance of the city of Haran to the patriarchs. The probable home of the Ishmael legend is Ishmael, and that of Lot, the mountains of Moab, where Lot's cave was shown, chapter 19, verse 30. The Jacob-Esau stories and the Jacob-Laban stories were originally told in Jacob. The Shem-Japhet-Canaan legend in Shem, as it would seem. The Abel-Cain legend, neither in Abel, which perished according to the legend, nor in Cain, which was cursed and exiled, accordingly in some unnamed people. Religious Legends Not Israelitic The legends of worship in Genesis we may assume with the greatest certainty to have originated in the places of which they treat. The same may be said of other legends which ascribe names to definite places. 
accordingly it is probable that most of the legends of the patriarchs were known before israel came into canaan this assumption is supported by the character of many of the legends of genesis the complacence and peacefulness of the figures of the patriarchs are by no means israelitish characteristics the connection of man and fruitland in the story of paradise is conceivable only among a people of peasants according to the cain and abel legend also the field is god's property chapter four verse fourteen but especially the religion of genesis hints of a non-israelitish origin for most of the legends two of our sources e and p avoid calling the god of the patriarchs Yahweh, in which they may see a last relic of the feeling that these stories really have nothing to do with Yahweh, the god of israel as furthermore the book of job which also treats a foreign theme does not use the name Yahweh. but even in the third source j which speaks of Yahweh, the name Yahweh zabayot is not found in a few occasions which are able to catch the name of the pre yahvistic god of the legend we hear of el lahai roy at lahai roy chapter sixteen verse thirty of el olam at beersheba chapter twenty one verse thirty three and following of el bethel at bethel chapter thirty one verse thirteen el shaddai and el elhyon are probably also such primitive names in the legend of abraham at hebron there are assumed at the start three gods polytheism is also to be traced in the legend of the heavenly ladder at bethel and in the fragment of the mahanaim legend chapter thirty two verse two where mention is made of many divine beings we recognize israelitish origin with perfect certainty only in those legends that introduce expressly israelitish names that is particularly in the legends of dinah from simeon and levi chapter thirty four tamar from judah chapter thirty eight and reuben chapter thirty five verse twenty two but we do not mean to declare by this that other narratives may not be of israelitish origin in particular the considerable number of legends which have their scene in negeb southward of judah may very likely be of israelitish origin but israelitish tradition flows unmixed so far as we can see only from the introduction of the story of moses the general view of the legendary traditions of israel gives us then so far as we are able to make it out the following main features the legends of the beginning in the main are babylonian the legends of the patriarchs are essentially canaanitish and after these come the specifically israelitish traditions this picture corresponds to the history of the development of civilization in canaan the native civilization grows up on a foundation essentially babylonian and after this comes the israelitish national life it is a matter of course that the sequence of periods in the themes for storytelling and in the epochs of civilization should correspond 
thus among modern peoples the children make the acquaintance first of the israelitish stories next of the greco-roman and finally the modern subjects quite in accordance with the influences in the history of our civilization greek parallels a particularly interesting problem is offered by the correspondence of certain legends to greek subjects for instance the story of the three men who visit abraham is told among the greeks by hyrius at tanagra ovid fasti book five lines four ninety five and following the story of potiphar's wife contains the same fictional motive as that of hippolytus at phaedra and is found in other forms there are also greek parallels for the story of the curse upon reuben homer iliad book nine lines four forty seven and following and for the story of the quarrel of the brothers esau and jacob apollodorus bibliotheca book two the legend of lot at sodom suggests that of philemon and bacchus in the legends of the beginnings also there are related features the declaration that man and woman were originally one body plato symposium and the myth of the elysian happiness of the primeval time are also familiar to the greeks the solution of this problem will surely be found in the assumption that both these currents of tradition are branches of one great oriental stream accordingly we infer that the legends of genesis are of very varied origin which is altogether confirmed by more careful examination for the narratives themselves are far from consistent some conceive of the patriarchs as peasants others as shepherds but never as city dwellers some have their scene in babylonia some in egypt some in aram and others in north and south canaan some assume an oriental polytheism others speak of the guardian genius el some think of god as the severe lord of mankind others praise the mercy of god and so on the adaption of the legends naturally these foreign themes were vigorously adapted in israel to the nationality and the religion of the people a process to be recognized most clearly in the case of the babylonian hebrew legend of the deluge here the polytheism has disappeared the many gods have been dropped in favor of the one the myth of creation or have been reduced to servants of the one the legend of hebron the local divinities have been identified with Yahweh, and their names regarded as epithets of Yahweh in the particular locality involved chapter sixteen verse thirteen chapter twenty one verse thirty three chapter thirty one verse thirteen the amalgamation of these legends and their infilling with the spirit of a higher religion is one of the most brilliant achievements of the people of israel but quite apart from the religion in this israelitising of the legends it is very certain that a quantity of changes took place of which we can survey only a small portion foreign personages were displaced by native ones as for instance the hebrew enoch took the place of the babylonian magician 
and Meduranki, while the more familiar Noah took the place of the hero of the Babylonian account of the deluge. Thus also the Egyptian stories found in the last of Genesis were transferred to the Israelite figure of Joseph. And thus, in many cases, the stories which are now connected with definite personages may not have belonged to them originally. Or again, native personages were associated with foreign ones. Thus, Esau Seir was identified with Edom, and Jacob with Israel, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made to be ancestors of the people of Israel. Or foreign legends were localized in the places of Canaan. Thus, the story of the three visitors of Abraham, which is known also to the Greeks, is localized at Hebron. The legend of the banished cities, which, even in the form preserved, knows nothing of the salt lake beside the Dead Sea. And in the process, various specifically Israelitish features have been introduced into the legends. For instance, the prophecies that Esau, or Edom, would sometimes separate from Jacob, or Israel, chapter 27, verse 40. That Joseph would receive Shechem, chapter 48, verse 22. That Manasseh would dwindle as compared with Ephraim. In the legend of Jacob and Laban, the motive of the boundary treaty at Gilead is a later interpolation. A piece about the preservation of Zoar has been added to the legend of Sodom. The legends of worship which were originally intended to explain the sanctity of the place were transferred to Yahweh and to the patriarch Yared, and received the new point that they were to explain why Yared had the right to worship Yahweh at this place. Mode of Amalgamation Further alterations came about by exchange or combination of local traditions. We can imagine that such things happened very frequently in connection with travel, especially perhaps on the occasion of the great pilgrimages to the tribal sanctuaries, and by means of the class of traveling storytellers. Thus, the legends traveled from place to place, and are told in our present form of the tradition regarding various places. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah was localized, as it seems, by another tradition at Adma and Seboim. According to another tradition, a similar legend was told in connection with Gibeah in Benjamin, Judges chapter 19. The rescue of Ishmael was localized both in Lahai Roy and in Beersheba, chapter 21, verse 14. The meeting of Jacob and Esau on the former's return was located at Mahanaim, and at Penuel on the Jabbok in northeastern Canaan, where it seems originally not to belong, since Esau is supposed to be located in Edom, south of Canaan. The names of the patriarchs are given in connection with the most various places, all claiming to have been founded by them. Abraham, particularly in Hebron, but also in Beersheba and elsewhere, Isaac, not only in Beersheba, but also in Mizpah, chapter 31, verse 53, Jacob in Penuel, Bethel, and Shechem, 
in which of the places the figures were originally located we are unable to say nor whether abraham or isaac was the original personage in the legend of gerar these transformations are too old to be traced out in detail wellhausen's conjecture that abraham was probably the latest personage among the patriarchs is untenable then again various legends have been combined for instance the stories of paradise and of creation as told by j and the myth of the creation and of the elysian period as told by p or again various different personages have grown together thus the figure of noah in genesis consists of three originally different personages the builder of the ark the vintager and the father of shem ham and japhet in cain we have combined the different personages one cain the son of the first human couple two cain the brother of abel three cain the founder of cities jacob according to the legend of penuel is a giant who wrestles with god himself according to the jacob esau stories he is shrewd but cowardly thus seeming to be an entirely different person probably the jacob to whom god reveals himself at bethel is still a different person incidentally to the joining together of the legends the pedigrees of the patriarchs were established thus abraham became the father of isaac and he in turn of jacob thus ishmael was made a son of abraham and lot made his nephew and so on and the reasons for this are not at all clear how old this pedigree may be we cannot tell the amalgamation of the legends is a process which certainly was under way long before israel was in canaan we can imagine that it proceeded with especial rapidity and thoroughness at the time when israel was again gathering itself together as a nation under the first kings fidelity of transmission and not only from place to place but also from age to age do our legends wander in general they are simply repeated and often with what is to us an incredible fidelity perhaps only half understood or grown entirely unintelligible and yet transmitted further how faithfully the legends have been told we can learn by comparing the different variants of the same story which in spite of more or less deviation agree nevertheless in the general plan and often even in the very words compare for instance the two variants of the legend of rebecca and yet even these faithfully told legends are subject to the universal law of change when a new generation has come when the outward conditions have changed or the thoughts of men have altered whether it be in religion or ethical ideals or aesthetic taste the popular legend cannot permanently remain the same slowly and hesitatingly always at a certain distance behind the legend follow the general changes in conditions some more others less and here consequently the legends furnish us a very important basis for judging the changes in the people 
a whole history of the religious ethical and aesthetic ideas of ancient israel can be derived from genesis value of the variants if any one proposes to study this history he will do well to begin with the variants it is the characteristic of legend as well as of oral tradition that it exists in the form of variants each one however faithful it may be and especially every particular group and every new age tells somewhat differently the story transmitted to it the most important variants in genesis are the two stories of ishmael chapter sixteen and chapter twenty one verse eight and following and next the legend of the danger to the patriarch's wife which is handed down to us in three versions chapter twelve verse thirteen and following chapter twenty verse twenty six and then the associated legend of the treaty at beersheba likewise in three versions in the case of these stories the variants are told with almost entire independence of one another to these are to be added the many cases in which the stories are transmitted to us in the variants of j and e or of the various hands in j worked over by the hand of an editor the chief illustrations of this method being the stories of jacob and of joseph sometimes furthermore variants of portions of genesis are transmitted to us in other biblical books thus the idyllic account of the way in which jacob became acquainted with rachel at the fountain is told also of moses and zipporah the renunciation of the old gods under the oak at shechem is told of jacob and also of joshua joshua chapter twenty four the interpretation of the dream of a foreign king is told both of joseph and daniel let the investigator make his first observations on these twice told tales when he has thus acquired the keen eye and found certain lines of development then let him compare also the legends which are told but once then he will begin to see how extraordinarily varied these legends are among them are the coarsest and the most delicate the most offensive and the most noble those showing a naive polytheistic religion and others in which is expressed the most ideal form of faith judgment of individual narratives moreover the history of the legends is to be derived from the individual narratives themselves if we look sharply we shall see revisions in the taste of a later time slight or extensive additions bringing in a thought which was foreign to the old narrator in certain rare cases we may even assume that a whole story has been added to the tradition chapter fifteen and such additions are recognized by the fact that they are out of place in an otherwise harmonious story and usually also by the fact that they are relatively unconcrete the art of storytelling which in olden times was in such high perfection degenerated in later times and the latest in particular care more for the thought than for the narrative hence such additions usually contain speeches sometimes also short narrative notes are added to the legend cycles 
as for instance we are told briefly of jacob that he bought a field in shechem chapter 33 verses 18 through 20 or that deborah died and was buried at bethel chapter 35 verse 8 and so on but with these faithful narrators more significant than the additions are certainly the omissions which are intended to remove features that have become objectionable for we find gaps in the narratives at every step indeed to those of a later time often so much had become objectionable or had lost its interest that some legends had become mere torsos such is the case with the marriages with angels with the story of reuben chapter thirty five verses twenty one and twenty two of mahanaim chapter thirty three verse two and following in other cases only the names of the figures of the legend have come down to us without their legends thus of the patriarchs nahor iska milka chapter eleven verse twenty nine pikol ahuzat chapter twenty six verse twenty six from the legend of the giant nimrod we have only the proverbial phrase like nimrod a mighty hunter before the lord chapter ten verse nine by other instances we can see that the stories or particular portions of them have lost their connection and were accordingly no longer rightly understood the narrators do not know why noah's dove brought precisely an olive leaf chapter eight verse eleven why judah was afraid to give to tamar his youngest son also chapter thirty eight verse eleven why isaac had but one blessing to give chapter twenty seven verse thirty six and why he had to partake of good things before the blessing chapter twenty seven verse four why it was originally told that jacob limped at penuel chapter thirty two verse thirty two and so forth hence there is spread over many legends something like a blue haze which veils the colors of the landscape we often have a feeling that we indeed are still able to recall the moods of the ancient legends but that the last narrators had ceased to have a true appreciation of those moods we must pursue all these observations find the reasons that led to the transformations and thus describe the inner history of the legends but here we give only a short sketch changes wrought by time in the legends the most important element in the history of the legends is probably this in older times as the outward circumstances in which they arose were shifted the legends also incurred certain alterations thus it was forgotten who the king of gerar really was chapter twenty verse twenty six and the king of egypt was put in instead chapter twelve verse ten and following incidentally it seems according to winkler that a confusion arose between mitzraim egypt and the north arabian tribe of the muzrim to whom gerar belonged and hagar also has been changed from a Mutsritish Arabian woman to a woman of Mitzraim, that is, an Egyptian. Or, at a time when the Philistines had possession of Gerar, 
this people also was brought into the legend of Gerar. Whereas the oldest version of the story, chapter 21, verse 22 and following, verse 26, knows as yet nothing of this fact. The figure of Hagar, once the type of a tempestuous Bedouin woman, chapter 16, has lost this characteristic color in the later tradition, which is not familiar with the desert. The stories of Jacob's breeding devices, while in Laban's employ, once the delight of the professional hearers, and therefore quite detailed, was later much abbreviated for hearers or readers who had no interest in the subject. Of the theories regarding the gradual origin of human arts and trades, chapter 4, verse 17 and following, only fragments have been preserved. Very often, the characteristic elements of the legend, when far from the places where they were understood, grew colorless or were replaced by others. This is particularly clear in the legends of sanctuaries, of which we shall speak later. Still other legends were probably entirely forgotten, because the interest in them had died out. And in addition to this, the imagination, which is mightily stirred by such narratives, develops them almost involuntarily. We can here and there recognize such continuations and developments due to the free play of the imagination. Light on the History of Religion The most important feature of this study is the history of religion. In very many legends of Genesis, a monotheistic tendency is to be observed, an avoidance of mythology to which we have referred. This feeling continued to grow in Israel and was the cause for the fading out of a number of legends. In the case of the myth of creation, of which we have older variants of a different attitude, the history of this elimination of the mythological elements is still to be observed. The narrative of the deluge also has lost much of its color in the oldest Hebrew account, that of J. And doubtless, from this very reason, others, like the legend of the marriage with angels, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and of Mahanaim, chapter 35, verses 21 through 22, which were once in existence in older Israelitish tradition, are in their present form entirely mutilated. Of the Nephilim, the Hebrew Titans, which are said to have been very famous once, chapter 6, verse 4, we have nothing but the name. Modification of the Theophany Furthermore, we may observe how naively the older legends speak of Yahweh's appearance on earth, but how the later time objected to this and made the revelation of the divinity even more intangible. While according to the oldest belief, the divinity himself walked without reserve among men, as in the present form of the legends of paradise and of the deluge, the later time decked the theophany in the veil of mystery. God appeared only in the darkness of night and vanished with the rising of the sun. Chapter 19 Or he appeared to men without their recognizing him. Chapter 18 And in this way the divinity, 
though revealing himself, nevertheless did not wholly unveil his nature. Still later versions put some subordinate divine being in place of the divinity himself, J calling it the angel of Yahweh, and E the angel of God, though this device was not observed consistently. Passages enough have been left which presuppose the appearance of Yahweh himself, the older version peeping forth from behind the newer one. This same point of view has led to the change of God's appearance on earth to the apparition in a dream, or to the declaration that the angel remained in heaven and spoke to the patriarch from there. The mystery of the dream life left a veil for the divinity who revealed himself, or in the other case he was not seen at all, but only heard. The last stage in this development is represented by those legends in which the divinity no longer appears at a definite point in the story, but dominates the whole from the ultimate hidden background, as in the stories of Rebekah and of Joseph. Thus we progress in Genesis by many stages from crass mythology to a belief in providence which seems to us altogether modern. It is a marvel, indeed, that the legend of Penuel, chapter 32, verse 25 and following, is transmitted to us in such primitive form. In this, the device has been to leave it undefined who the God really was that attacked Jacob. End of chapter 4, part 1